Lord, we are very thankful for today. We are thankful for your word and your grace in our lives. Lord, today, uh, bring your spirit to us. Allow our ears to hear this truth. Lord, as we discuss grace and justification and redemption, salvation and conversion, let us understand what Christ has done for us. As we look to Paul's life and how you've led him and how you brought him through so many different things and you brought him to a point of being a worker, to being a preacher of your word, Lord, let us recognize that we have purpose in our life. That Christianity gives us purpose because we understand the purpose of the universe. We understand the mission of Christ. Lord, be with us today. Encourage us and bring us to faith if necessary, but also um, give us more understanding and more truth to, to believe in. In Jesus' name, amen. So the letter of Galatians is, 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 again, one about salvation. It's a letter about our conversion. Conversion is this transformation to faith. It helps the church answer the question, how is a person actually saved? That's the question that we all ask. We all want to understand our own assurance. We all want to understand how are we truly saved? What are we truly saved from? And the doctrine that this letter gets at, or the doctrine that's developed within this letter, is the doctrine of justification. It's the doctrine of justification. And Greg Allison, who is a professor at Southern Seminary, he nuances justification like this. He says, There is guilt of sinful people before God, and their ability to suffer condemnation is the reason why justification is necessary. Justification is a legal declaration by which God pronounces sinful people not guilty, but righteous instead. Justification consists really of two aspects. One, the, forgive, uh, the forgiveness of sins, which is the declaration of not guilty, and the imputation of the perfect righteousness of Christ, which is the declaration of being righteous instead. So you see in the doctrine of justification that there is a recognition of our guilt. We are then taken out of that guilt by Christ, but not just washed clean, but instead also, or not instead, but also given Christ's righteousness. So we are taken from being sinners and we are given Christ's righteousness. And then he adds this. He adds this and what we've already talked about in the first week of this series, that justification, the doctrine of justification by God's grace alone, through faith alone, by the merits of Christ alone, was the material principle of the Reformation. This is what the doctrine of of biblical faithfulness lands on. It's what it's built upon. The Reformation is the, is the call to biblical faithfulness. And that's important to note because, again, this is the thrust of the Re- Reformation. The Reformation wasn't to, to bring down or to cut down or to destroy the church, but to reform it to biblical faithfulness. And that's what we want to do here at Maranatha. That's why we teach the word. That's why we don't give opinions of Jeff or give opinions of anybody up here who happens to get the microphone. We teach Scripture. Because we want to hang on biblical faithfulness. And that's exactly what Paul is doing for us. He's what he's doing for the Galatian church when he wrote this letter. He was attempting to correct some of the wrong teaching and wrong ideas about how the church body went about living faithfully for Christ. So when you think of your own life, are you living faithfully? Are you doing the things that you see in Scripture? Are you working out your salvation with faithfulness in the way that Christ lays out for us? Or do you have your own ideas? You have your own way of life that you think should just be right. Today, our passage 
What we read of Paul, what he, he proclaims in our passage today is really his testimony. It's really just Paul's testimony. And we, we all have testimonies. We all have a story that we could tell of how we were saved or how we continue to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Some of us even have a testimony that says that we don't believe any of this. Our testimony is that we don't believe in this Christianity. And as we just read, as Kyle just read, at one time so did Paul. At one time, Paul didn't believe any of this either. And it's right there for us to read in Scripture. So if we can understand justification as a legal declaration of salvation in Christ, then we can see that our faithful testimony is also a formal assertion to what has taken place in us by Christ. So our testimony is about our justification. In fact, it was God who instituted this purpose of of testimony. It was God who who laid forward for the people uh, of his choosing to have a testimony. In Exodus 16, Moses was instructed to take a certain amount of the manna that fell from down from heaven, the, the manna that was raining down for God to provide for the people of Israel as they walked through the desert. He was to take this manna and place it in a particular jar. Manna, if you can imagine, is um, sort of like flaky bread that tastes like honey. And as they woke up in the morning, it was, it was laid out across the field. And they were to gather it up every single day. And that night, it would, it would crumble away or it would rot away. They could only keep it for at least a day. So Moses was to take this manna, and he was to take this manna and store it. And then he was told to take this manna that was in this particular jar and place it on the altar. The purpose of placing it on the altar was to be a way of testimony before the people of Israel to remind them what God has done as well as what God is doing for them. So we can see that a faithful testimony is one, presentable facts that shows God's faithfulness, and then two, declares his glory in all things. That's a faithful testimony. And that is what Paul, again, is doing for us. That's what Paul has done for the people in Galatia. He is proving himself to be faithful. He is proving himself to be uh, authoritative in this proclamation of how we're to live as Christians. This section of the letter is sort of Paul's biographical explanation of how, how God brought him to be where he is today or in that day. In Paul's own words, this is how the Lord has transformed him and taken him to who he is and what he's doing for the church in Galatia. So, so far we've learned a couple things. We've learned what his message entails. The message that Paul is about to proclaim to the Galatian church is that grace alone is our only means of salvation. And we also learned how he holds this authority and how he is able to even present this word as an authority because it was Christ who commissioned him and it was Christ who trained him in the truth. Remember I said it matters who's talking to us. It matters that we're listening to truth versus listening to relative truth. So Paul is proclaiming these things, but sometimes words are just words and we need proof. So Paul gives us his testimony. And in his testimony, Paul defends himself really in three ways. One, that he didn't come to this conclusion on his own. In verses 13 and 14, Paul says that he was incredibly, uh, he was an incredible zealous follower of the traditions and of the laws of God that were given to the people of Israel. He said he was Pharisee of Pharisees. He was better than all the rest. He was, in fact, so zealous 
for the traditions. He was so zealous for the laws of God that he tells us in his own words that he violently persecuted the Christian church and he tried to destroy it. There's a story in Acts where Paul oversees a man actually getting stoned to death. He was murdered before his eyes as he looked on in authority. That's how zealous Paul was. That's one story. I'm sure there were many more. The second way he defends himself is he says that he wasn't taught this gospel by any other man. So he didn't come to this conclusion on his own and he wasn't taught this conclusion or this gospel by any other man. In verse 16 and 17, Paul tells the church that he went away to Arabia and then he was trained for three years in Christ's truth. He makes the point that he didn't go directly to Jerusalem. He makes the point by telling them, I went off to Arabia and then I went back to Damascus and I learned this truth for three years from Christ because he wanted to show that he didn't learn the faith from other fellow Jewish Christians. And that's important. It's important for him to show that he learned it directly from Christ and that he didn't go back to Jerusalem, which was sort of the mothership of that time because he wanted to show them that this truth wasn't taught from other Jewish Christians kind of amongst the same church or amongst the same tradition. If he had done that, if he had just been saved and heard the call and went to Jerusalem and was trained by the same people, then these false teachers, these Judaizers that were in Galatia, what they could do is they could say that, well, of course you did that. We all did that. We all went to the, to, back to Jerusalem. And, but the reality is that, Paul, you just got the message wrong. We all learn from the same people, but, Paul, you just got the message wrong. You're leaving out the fact that we still have to do some things. You don't have the whole story. They're not telling everybody about the things that we still have to do for God to love us. So Paul was emphatic to the fact that he learned from Christ. He didn't learn it from man. And third, his message was given to him by God. His message was given to him by God because it, doesn't, because, sorry, because it does match the same truth that was being preached by the other apostles. So he didn't go to them and learn from them. He learned it from Christ himself. And then when he actually went and compared the two truths... He was able to say that my truth as an apostle matches with the other truth of the apostles. You follow me? He is defending this reality in his own testimony. In verse 18, Paul shows them that he did eventually go to Jerusalem to be affirmed by the others. We see Paul being confirmed, being confirmed by the other apostles. He talks about going to meet Peter, or it's written in there as Cephas. Cephas is the Aramaic translation of Peter. They both mean rock. Remember, uh, in Matthew, Jesus goes to Peter and says, Upon this rock I'll build my church. Peter was chosen to be the leader of leaders, or the apostle of the apostles, by Jesus. We also see that Paul was found to be true by James' own brother, or Jesus' own brother, James. In fact, then the churches, as they heard about this truth, the churches in Syria and Cilicia heard of the truth that Paul was preaching and praised God for what Paul was doing. They glorified God for Paul's transformation. All of this to show that it's real. All of this to show that it's true. Seeing God's faithfulness and recognizing God's glory in all things. And it only happened in one way. It only happened because of one particular dynamic, one particular authority. And it's the way Paul says it in verse 15. Verse 15 reads like this. But when he who had set me apart before I was born 
and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This was Christ calling Christ or calling Paul out before he was even born. Again, this wasn't Paul mentally ascending to the knowledge of the Christian faith. He didn't hear it and think, hmm, that's, that's better than what I've been teaching. I think, that's, I think I'll go with that now. He didn't mentally ascend to this truth. He was smart, but before his experience on the way to Damascus, he wasn't transformed yet. He didn't possess the Holy Spirit yet. Paul knew the law so well that he was considered elite. He was considered one of the best. And as he persecuted the Christian church, of course, you have to imagine that he learned what they were teaching. As he sought after to destroy the Christian church, of course you have to imagine that he heard what they were preaching. He learned what they were learning. Prior to this conversion, of course, Paul knew. He, Paul knew about Jesus of Nazareth. Of course, Paul knew and he heard the claims about the miracles that this Jesus was performing. Of course, Paul knew that Jesus was put to death on the cross. And of course, Paul knew the story of how these Christians believe that Jesus came back to life. And that's why they were worshiping Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's why they were preaching against this law that he loves so dearly. And that worship, that faith is what consumed him in a fiery anger to destroy the church. There's really only one way for Paul to be transformed. Why would he turn from this truth, this thing he is so zealous for, this thing that he he literally killed people for? Why would he turn from it? Because of a change of heart. There's only one thing that can account for Paul's sudden transformation, and that's a change of heart. Paul says that he was set apart before he was even born, that he was called in by his grace, that God was pleased to reveal Jesus in him. God was pleased to reveal Jesus in him, this vile sinner, this enemy of Christ's church. God was pleased to do so. And then Paul also suddenly learns of his true purpose in life. Paul recognizes what God has done in his life, and it also helps him understand his true purpose in life. Paul says in verse 16, In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul's purpose is to continue the mission of Christ, to be a missionary. To live in a way that proclaims the goodness and the glory and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That's Paul's purpose. That's our purpose. What we see here is that it's God's sovereign will to save men and women and give them the faith to believe and trust in Jesus. That is what Paul is saying, that it is God's sovereign will. It pleases God to save people. You can be saved. You can be given faith. You can be given the truth, the understanding. The Holy Spirit can dwell within you and you can have that guarantee of assurance that we all yearn for. And if you haven't gotten the hint yet, it's not based on our own merit. It's not based in who we are. Jesus Christ didn't set Paul apart because he was a great leader, which he was. 
Jesus didn't set Paul apart because he was really wise, which he was. It wasn't because Paul was zealous and a hard worker, which he was. Paul was set apart because before any of those things, he was set apart before any of those things. Paul was set apart before he was even born. It's not based in our own merit. It's not based in who you are. I hope that gives you comfort. Does it give you comfort? When you hear that you were chosen before, you were even a thought in your parents' mind, you were chosen. Does that give you comfort? That Christ has known you longer than anyone else has ever known you. It should, because Paul's truth is the same truth that we have today, because what we are talking about, the faith that is being proclaimed, is true yesterday, as it is today, as it will be tomorrow. I pray that you hear that God is calling on you today because he wants to. Because he wanted you before you were even born. Today you can respond. I know that our memories don't let us really forget who we were or what we've done or how we've treated others or the sins that we've committed. Man, that's an easy way for the enemy to get at me. To tell me I'm still that man I used to be. But our testimonies aren't meant to be void of those truths. You don't have to be clean for God. You just don't have to be clean for God. He justifies us. He makes you righteous. And I have faith to believe that you are here because God sees something in you. He knew before anyone ever knew you that he would be within you. Man, that should give us comfort. Understanding God's presence and eternal reality, how he lives outside of time, that he is just as powerful Yesterday, we can feel his power today, but he will be just as powerful tomorrow to keep us. He knew before anyone else knew you that he would be within you. So just listen. Just listen. Just just believe. Repent. Trust with this faith that's being proclaimed. It's not stripping anything away from us. It's fulfilling of who we were always meant to be. Paul being set apart again was for a purpose, verse 16. Paul being set apart was for a purpose. Us being set apart is for a purpose in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul worked against God. He defamed God. He fought against God. He was angry at God. He didn't know it, but he was. But God prepared Paul through it all. And we see this throughout the Bible. One of the more famous stories about this is Jacob, or uh, sorry, Joseph, the son of Jacob. Joseph's brothers were jealous and they wanted to kill him. Joseph had this dream that he was going to rule over his older brothers and they were jealous and frustrated. He was the, the, the chosen one, the favorite of their father. So they decided to kill him, but they couldn't go through with it. So they decided to sell him into slavery. 
This was their way of, of defying and denying God's plan of making Joseph their ruler. But through it all, through all the difficulty, through everything that Joseph had to go through, or what he was going through, God was actually using it as a way to establish Joseph as the deliverer for the people of Israel. Evil was done. We've done evil. We've gone through evil. But God can use it for good. God uses it for good. Our lives are mixed up. Our lives are confused with good and evil. At times we are confused at why good and evil happens when we look at our lives, when someone looks at our lives what do they see? Are our lives, are our testimonies, are they, are they confusing? Do we proclaim Christ, but if someone actually sees who we truly are, are they confused about who Christ is? Are you working against truth with your lifestyle and with the way that you witness to other believers and non-believers? Would they see Christ? How thankful is your heart when you hear that somebody has come to faith? Do you jump to skepticism? When you hear that that person came to faith and proclaims Christianity, are you quick to jump to say, not that guy. Not that girl. There's no way. It's pretty easy to bracket people off in our world. It's pretty easy to bracket people off in our, from our lives just because they're hard to know or they're annoying or they're different either culturally or socially. So I ask you, maybe you've, maybe you've done this. Maybe you've relented from sharing your life with people who hurt you. Maybe you feel persecuted by someone in your life. Maybe you feel persecuted by the people who are around you. Maybe at home or in the workplace. Maybe within some uh, sort of friendship or friendship group. It's hard to think about. But if you, really, if you really process what we're saying or you're processing Paul's testimony, if there was a person who the church should have kept at arm's length, it was Paul. This man killed the church. He tried to destroy the church. If there was a person they should have kept at arm's length, it probably would have been Paul. But Jesus Christ transformed him and gave him a new heart. And then he went about ferociously serving Christ and the church. So if you were sitting here and saying, I am too far gone. I am the one who fights against God. Christ can transform you. If you were angry at something in your life that God has done or are allowed to happen. God can transform you. As we serve the world as the church, as Maranatha, we have to understand that there isn't, uh, that it isn't our persecutors, persecutors that are our enemies. At the moment when Jesus was about to be arrested, Peter, the supposed leader of leaders, eventually was wielding a sword, whipping it all around, and he eventually cuts off a man's ear. He cuts off a guard's ear, and Jesus heals the man. He heals the man who is meant to lead him away to be murdered. Our persecutors are not our enemies. We don't fight against flesh and blood. All around us we see and we hear people who are zealous for their truth. But passionate zeal is never enough to make something true. 
Passionate zeal is never enough to make something true. So as we go from here today, as we go from um, this gathering, as we are worshiping Christ, as we're singing songs and we're hearing his word preached, as we go here from today, please think about your own testimony. Think about who you are are witnessing as the world. As you go out like Paul to preach uh, him and his faithfulness, think about your own testimony. Is it about you? Or is it about God? Do you remember who you once were and long for those days to still exist? Or or do you despise the old man or woman that you used to be? You see, God uses us in his grace. He uses us in his grace as we now get to share his true faithfulness. We get to share his truth faithfully. He prepares us. He, he, he leads us. He, he carries us through. He gives us the Holy Spirit as a vessel to walk through sin, to walk through trial, to walk through the suffering in our life. We have something that the world doesn't have, and that's the Holy Spirit. We have God's word to understand so we don't have to get caught up in emotion and get caught up in, in, in silly zeal for things that are, actually aren't eternal. We have this truth given to us not by men, but by God. Again, we have God's word. And by his grace, we also have one another. By his grace, we have the church. We have Maranatha. That's why we planted this. We say this all the time. This is not an organization. This is a family. This is a body of believers who gather together to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ for the outside world, but as well as for one another. And we are given Unity amongst each other so we can come together without shame to truly be known. You can drop your guard here. This is a safe place. You don't have to pretend here. We all want security. We we all want that assurance. And grace gives us that security. Grace gives us that security. Because God doesn't love you for what you've done or what you can do. He loves you because he loves you. That is the only kind of love that can give us the assurance that we all desire because it's the only type of love that we cannot lose. Pray with me, please.